Hello, and welcome to the Related to Geeks podcast, the podcast about a geeky family. This is episode 5, original air date, Thursday, October 1. My name's Megan, the youngest of the siblings, and your host. And tonight with me, I have my sister, Sarah. Hello. My brother, Kirsten. Hello. And our papa, Mr. Harry Larry. Yo, dudes. Yo, dudes. To explain a little bit about this particular podcast, we're going to start things off with what's caused us to geek out lately. Then we'll move into our topic of the week and wrap everything up with a pretty bow and finish off with our pick of the week. So starting off, Kier, since you weren't here last podcast, we're going to start off with you and what has caused you to geek out lately. Well, I have been researching uh, free and I guess... uh, in my terminology, coming from the Linux world, I would say open source RPGs, though uh, I think most of them are licensed under an open gaming license or a Creative Commons attribution license. And I have been researching one in particular called Fate. And uh, Fate Core was kickstarted fairly recently, like last couple of years, I think. And uh, they have since done a Fate Accelerated Edition which is an even more stripped-down version, but it is uh, built to be a uh, settingless, collaborative storytelling, uh, role-playing game uh, with an emphasis on the storytelling and less emphasis on creating powerful characters that get more powerful and and, uh, you end up fighting bigger and better monsters and so on and so forth. Uh, The thing that I think that I like the most about it is the fact that it is uh, completely open. It's free. You can make a donation if you want the PDF. You can pay for a hardbound book if you want, but you can just go to their website, download the rules for free, look at it, and decide if you want to make a donation to them or not. Uh, The other thing that I like about it is that they have on their website and on some sister websites, uh, entire sections where the fan base has made settings or optional rules or extensions or converted other role-playing games to use the Fate system. And it is really cool. We use an open-source character sheet on at our uh, homepage on relatedtogeeks.com, modified for, uh, you know, to put links on it and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. a blackboard. Yeah. yeah, and to go off of that, that concept of uh, people offering games for free, you know, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but Zombie Plague was definitely one of those that I got, you know, multiple, multiple hours of entertainment out of. That was just, you know, a game that these, these guys developed and, and put out there. I mean, you had to put the investment into printing it out, but other than that, it was it was just there for the taking. And a lot of people have expanded on that, too, and designed their own maps and built off of that and implemented that in different ways. So, definitely, yeah. more of that stuff is always awesome. This actually, the the interest in an open gaming license system came whenever I, you know, recently uh, reached out to uh, an RPG system that will remain nameless and said, hey, I want to make something cool for your RPG and, you know, give it away to people. And the general response I got was, we'll have to talk to our lawyers. 
we, we, we can't say whether or not you can do the thing that you want to do, even though it's really cool and would benefit the product as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, RPGs have become this big corporate thing that they didn't original. They weren't originally. Whenever I was young and playing them, uh, even the biggest corporations and RPGs seemed less corporate. Uh, incidentally, I think this is why Dungeons and Dragons was eventually bought by a big corporation was because the people who ran Dungeons and Dragons weren't really business minded, and they ended up going out of business. Uh, this is also true of um, software, um, music, art, other uh, stuff published under open licenses. Where if you want to go somewhere with the license, allows you to do that. Yeah, and I'm I'm finding it more and more in in video games is what draws me to the the indie developers and things like that is because they are very open with the with the video game community and 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 allow them to create content for their games and and have fun with that and and develop things that really are open source. I think Amnesia is a yeah, good example of that. Yeah, there's quite a few of them. Yeah, there are a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've been playing uh, Castles and Crusades, right? Isn't that isn't that all? Uh, no, I think uh, we've been playing Basic Fantasy. Yeah, Basic Fantasy. That's what I'm thinking of. Right. Yeah, and yeah. that's another free download PDF from mm-hmm. from the site too. Um, and yeah. we bought we bought the book from Amazon. Um, I'm assuming it's still available for like four bucks. I mean, perfect bound. It's not you know the best binding in the world, but four bucks <laughs> so and I think it was prime I'm not positive of that but uh, incidentally uh, one of the uh, 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 fan-made creations for fate is basic fate fantasy there you go yeah and that's I think really at its core what I love about this system is just you know, I'm on a wiki page on their site right now where they have a list of their official rules and then people who have translated it to other languages and uh, then just character sheets and cheat sheets and non-player characters that are pre-generated and ready to go, uh, worksheets and... Uh, here's some alternate ways to handle this part of the system, and here's some alternate ways to handle that part of the system. And uh, I, I really like that it's essentially given you this modular plug-and-play feel that uh, you can really make the RPG that you want to make. Very cool, very cool. <laughs> Alright, Dad, what's caused you to geek out lately? Okay, um... The last couple of weeks, it's been music, music, music. We've had the last two weeks of Blues Fest on the last two Sundays, and just yesterday I performed as Travis Travis. Um, well, Harry Larry's Merry Pranksters plays country music that I take on the persona of Travis Travis. Um, also, I have a composition recital coming up a week from tomorrow, and so I'm in the middle of rehearsals for that. I'm having two pieces played. One is a jazz piece called the cat's meow and then also a piece called Humpty Dumpty that's written for tuba euphonium quartet 
And then next weekend, I'm going to Mississippi to go to the fall ball where I play every year at the Fools Ball and the fall ball in uh, Northern Hill Country, Mississippi. I want you to back up a bit. Did you say that you've been playing country music as Travis Travis? Yeah, Travis Travis. All right. I, I've not I've not heard about this. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, this uh we were we were at a family reunion, I think the last one when Carol was there or maybe the second but anyway, Carol was there. And I told her and this ten years ago, I said, I'm gonna go into country music. I think I got a chance there and I said, I got the perfect name for it. Travis Travis. <laughs> and so everybody knows Carol is our aunt. That's that's dad's sister, so I know that that's kind of a, <laughs> a family thing that not everybody is going to recognize. Aunt Carol, but, Aunt Carol, but, but to me, uh, my related to Keek's sister, who is also in the music. Yes. <laughs> she played piano, right? Plays piano. Uh, clarinet. Clarinet. I don't know why I thought she plays piano. So well, she did. Um, but she, clarinet was her instrument. Okay. So so backing up back to Travis Travis here. <laughs> <laughs> why Travis Travis <laughs> well uh, there are a number of country stars whose last name is Travis and also a number of country stars whose first name is Travis so I felt like it was just a shoe in Megan what have you been geeking out about lately oh goody um, I have a project it's a, it's a project that's uh, stemmed from what I talked about last time, which was minimalism and, and how I'm getting rid of a bunch of my stuff. But a few months back, I ended up purchasing someone's manga collection. And it was like a, a hundred plus volumes, and I got a great deal of it. I think I got the entire thing, plus some extra random art books and comic books and such for, our, I, I believe it was $50. Um, so I just kind of got this person's entire collection in one fell swoop and I didn't want to just get rid of all of it without kind of digging through it because at least, you know, that kind of stuff is pretty, e pretty easy and quick to read through. So I have it all piled up, uh, in my bedroom and I'm just grabbing it randomly before I go to bed and start and read them. And I have discovered that when you were trying to find a, uh, you know, good manga Probably not the best bet is to just mass buy somebody's collection because just like we were discussing last time, 90% of it is crap. Uh, and so I've been reading the first volume of several series and, and getting very disheartened very quickly. But uh, it's it's been an interesting project. So have you found the 10% yet? Uh, I started one that's called The Dreaming, I want to say is what it's called. Um, and it looks intriguing. It's all uh, spooky and ghost stories, so I'm getting I'm getting in the mood for Halloween. Cool. The first one I picked oh. up though was called Loveless, and it 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 made me uncomfortable from the very beginning, and then it turned kind of child porny. So I decided to put that one away real fast. Yeah. That happens sometimes. It's you know. It's part of it when you're when you're reading manga. Occasionally, you come up across something that that's a little child porny, and you just got to move on with life. <laughs> well, I don't have a whole lot of experience with manga. Actually, it's it's one aspect of nerd culture that I have not gotten into. I've I've watched a bunch of anime, 
I've read some manga, and it's really weird. You know, they write all their stories backwards from the end to the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and I got confused because I thought anime anime was the was the same way. I started watching it backwards. <laughs> Oddly enough, Fully Cooley made way more sense. <laughs> This is all one. And all that time, everything. all that time, I thought I was watching Beep Boop Cowboy. And Sarah's just like, "All right, <laughs> all right." Over my head completely. I I haven't watched very. I mean, you know, my my anime experience has been, you know, a couple of episodes of Pokemon that Pokemon that my daughter has watched. <laughs> Usually, I try to leave the room. It's not my not my cup of tea. No, I have never watched Cowboy Bebop or any of that, and I know that I might like it if I watch it from what I hear. Oh, you'd like it. You would like uh, Samurai Shampoo. Shampoo? Shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, a kind of dark, but really good one um, with the, the boys. Um, uh, full Metal oh, Alchemist. Yeah. 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 yeah there's actually, there's several, very good ones, several very good ones. Actually, if you're going to watch Full Metal Alchemist, and I watched the first bit of Full Metal Alchemist, I've heard that you really need to watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Well, let me ask this, because this is something that's that's actually come up in conversation, um, because nobody in this family really knows much about anime, and, you know, my little household of three, obviously. What's a good series to start off with? Especially if we could find one that's really appropriate for Liz as well. I feel like it has to be Cowboy Bebop. Okay. Yeah, but That's, it's uh, uh, it's it's different. You know, it's very it it's is the best. It's a good transition. Wolf Rain was that the one we watched, Megan? Wolf's Rain is another one that's okay. It's yeah, and it's uh, it's a little more like anime than Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop is very unique, and so is Samurai Champloo. They're not the uh, not the typical, yeah. excellent, but well, but and they, they're often their own of anime. Yeah, but that's why I kind of recommend those is because they have some of those anime quirks in them, but they're not really full on anime, and so it's not quite as harsh of a transition, like a little, a little entrance yeah. from the world of movie to, yeah, or dumb movies. Those two. But yeah, there's there's several that I I would recommend, and honestly, um, I would I would start with some films. Um, uh, Princess Mononoke is a really good one. Uh, okay. Yep. And uh, you know any of the Studio Ghibli stuff? There's there's definitely some that's uh, stand out there, and and some of that's available through Netflix and other services, or at least okay. has been. Yeah, I mean you never know with Netflix. They they tend to change things up, but I think they almost always have some sort of anime up. But yeah, that's definitely an, an easier entrance, I think, is to sit down and watch a movie, because it's kind of like just sitting down and watching an animated film at that point. Except <laughs> with more screaming and funny-looking cats. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah, it's down to you. Very last. 
You better have a good what's caused you to geek out lately. Well, <laughs> would board game surprise anybody? <sighs> Gasp. <laughs> <laughs> the truth actually... is the truth. <laughs> Anyhow, um, we've talked about how Liz is very into board gaming. She will watch every review that comes out. She will dissect games. She's she's pretty good at games. And she's shown a lot of interest in designing games. And so, I don't know, just over the past few days or so, we've really kind of looked at career options in gaming. And even collegiate options in gaming. Because there are some game design programs that don't only focus on video gaming, but also focus on tabletop gaming, which is... She has interest in both, but I think as far as game design, she has a much bigger interest in tabletop gaming. And um, we had watched through, I don't know if you're familiar, are you familiar with Board Game Breakfast on the Dice Tower, any of you? I am not. You are not. It is just a kind of like, think of it as a weekly variety show where people come in and do segments. Um, like there's a guy that does the what's what's out on Kickstarter right now that might interest you. There's another person who does um, reviews of video game apps. Um, and early on, whenever he started doing it, they're on episode 93, I think, was released today. Um, early on, there was a professor um, by the name of Scott Nicholson. He teaches game design. Um, at the time, he was working at Syracuse University. And he did a series called The Ivory Dice Tower, where he talked about gaming in academia. And so we watched through all of that, and she started watching his channel and his reviews and and all of that. And we kind of, as we were talking about colleges she could go to and all of that that could maybe focus on it, you know, obviously we looked him, him up. And he's teaching in Ontario right now. Um, but... We've, we've kind of looked him up again, and he's got a whole course on his YouTube channel called, I think it's called Gaming in Libraries. Yeah, and it's, it's like a 30-part course. They're, you know, 10 to 15 minutes a piece, I think. Um, and we've only watched the first couple of episodes, but it's really kind of, I think it's really cool because it applies to what we're doing right now as well because we do... We do gaming in libraries, uh, and I really think it's more focused towards the people who work in the library, but I don't really see where that changes things. So we're, we're kind of studying up on, on game design. We've been watching some TED Talks um, where they've talked about using games in ways other than just for fun, like where they can, you can use games as obviously education is a, is a big mm -hmm. A big way that people think of it other than just you know but it's, it's kind of like what could you do as a board game designer or a tabletop game designer or even a video game designer outside of what you know selling the next ticket to ride or settlers of Catan you know I mean that that could somehow or another benefit society I guess and that's kind of what we've been looking at um, how gaming they're using gaming in order to help solve science problems because they can kind of go in and code something to mimic real life and try to figure out something in a more um, controlled experience 
and it'll lead them to places that maybe they hadn't been able to find before. And and also by doing it with the computer, they're able to pull people in from everywhere, you know, in that kind of collaborative effort in finding out these things. Um, they were talking about like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it had something to do with proteins and, and trying yeah. to find out the, have you seen that one? I've seen that one. Yeah. So, you know, super interesting stuff. So I, I'm trying to just kind of open up different paths of conversation on how she could actually take this and do something with it. And, you know, I mean, obviously, if she developed the next Ticket to Ride, that wouldn't be a bad thing either. But <laughs> um, just trying to trying to, to find out everything we can about what is, for sure, right now, her biggest passion in life. Mm-hmm. I to harken back on a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago about some of the benefits of of being able to follow what your interests are. There's a whole mathematical field uh, game theory. Oh, yeah. And, and what's really interesting about Scott Nicholson, who's the guy I was talking about who did the Ivory Dice Tower and has the gaming and libraries course and all of that, he has a mathematics degree and a library science degree. So he's, he's coming at, at this from a mathematical background, and he's designed a game as well. Um, a couple of games, I think. So he's 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 interesting to watch. He's he's got a lot of he's got a um, whole thing on that on that ivory dice tower thing about what he calls gamification, and and I don't even think he coined the term. Um, I think it came from somewhere else, but I think he may have put his own twist on it. And what he describes as gamification is using games to motivate versus give it, using games to reward. So instead of like the, the, the one example he gave in one of the talks that I saw was the exercise programs, right? Whether you get rewarded for, if they make a game out of exercising and then you get rewarded for it kind of thing and how that can kind of fail. Because once you're tired of giving those rewards for, pe- for kids exercising, then they lose interest in it. But instead, um, if you go back to like, say the science protein thing, um, playing that game, the, the game helps motivate people to look for it because they're helping science. And that's not the example he gave, but um, but it's interesting stuff. And um, he has a lot of game theory videos and stuff. He's got a lot of board game reviews, too, and shows how to play. Um, and in fact, speaking of the Dice Tower, Tom Vassell, I believe, gives Scott Nicholson credit for the... Um, the fact that he started doing board game review videos. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance to, to look at his YouTube, I think that's a really good starting point for how gaming can be used in different settings. And there's even, I believe, a website where it's got all of the the Ivory Dice Tower segments from the Dice Tower uh, board game breakfast. Um, that can be that are just linked to all of his segments so that it, it actually links to the dice tower board game breakfast video but it's at that specific spot where he's introducing scott's segment yeah i have several children who are highly motivated to learn a variety of topics by playing dungeons and dragons <laughs> theology art writing reading I mean, I can go on and on the stuff that my kids got motivated to learn by playing Dungeons and Dragons. 
Spelunking. Spelunking, <laughs> yes. Cave geography. I really, really adored cave geography growing up. <laughs> like, no joke. I got a chance to go to Blanchard Springs Caverns when I was young. I was younger than Liz at the time, I think, with my Girl Scout troop at the time. And um, that's something I would love to go back and, and do with my family because, you know, they've neither one of them been, you know, in that kind of situation. And it's still a very controlled, you know, it's a hike through walkways and all of that. But um, it's I was a little dis I was a little disappointed. Um, I didn't see any dwarves at all. None. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you used to, Dad, you used to go spelunking, right? Like really, truly go spelunking when I was a kid, right? Yes. Yeah, I thought I yes. remembered that. Our yeah. parents are the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, now, another thing that most of your kids did, Dad, <laughs> is uh, I think <laughs> that we've all been, at some point, interested in designing games. Or have made our own games. Yeah, we... Made up all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think so, I've made up well, games. Sorry. I've definitely made up games to use with Liz in homeschooling. Not anything amazing or complicated or anything like that. But, you know, um, and speaking of that, there's actually another um, TED Talk that we watched. And it's called, let me see if I can find it real quick. Gaming for Understanding is the name of the TED Talk. And it's by Brenda Romero. And she talks about how to use gaming to help people understand concepts or help kids understand concepts that are hard to understand just from the big picture kind of thing. Um, like she was talking about, um, like, the slave trade from Africa to the United States. Um, and how she used a game that she created to help her daughter who had just learned about it in school and didn't really take in what was taught to her, how she used a game that she created to help her understand what that really entailed. And I thought that was kind of interesting as well. I want to tell you, this, uh, this podcast description is just going to have like 18 TED Talks linked in it. <laughs> yeah. So, I, think, uh, I, think I've watched, I think I've watched every single one of them already. Yeah, I mean, I I made a list of them, and we're gonna Liz and I are gonna watch them over the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, because you know there's some interesting things people are doing, um, and and um, one of the things and this is this is really cool, and I'm just I'm gonna ramble because that's what I do, uh, and you can cut this if you need to. But um, one of the things that Scott Nicholson did when he was at Syracuse was he started a game a game design group. And uh -huh. what he would do is he said he always started the group with a, he would bring a game for everybody to play. And he would try to bring one that maybe wasn't as well known as other games. Because, of course, he has that theory that if you're going to be a game designer, you should play more games and different mechan uh, mechanisms and stuff like that. So sort of like if you want to be a writer, you should read. Um, so he always started off with just a, like a 30-minute game. And then he would invite people from the community, like, say, somebody that worked at a library or a museum or a school to come in that had a need for a game to come talk about that need with the group. 
they would brainstorm with them about what they could do for a little bit. And then after that, he would say, okay, who has prototypes that need to be playtested? And people would start breaking off into, into groups to, to proto, you know, playtest prototypes. But also what would happen is people would go off with the person from the community and talk to them further about whatever game they need and help them develop that further. And one of the games that he talked about, it was at another, it wasn't at Syracuse, it was at another university library. And they needed a game to help new freshman orientation, you know, to help get people interested in doing that. And what they came up with was it was kind of, uh, they set up hauntings. Like people in the game design group would go through to different buildings on campus and every 15 minutes they would haunt the area with some sort of predetermined reasoning behind it. And the, the kids had to go through and figure out why the hauntings were happening because those hauntings were going to happen until they knew why. So. What would happen is the kids would go around to the different places on campus, watch the hauntings, gather back up at the library, research what was going on, and then go and, you know, kind of go out again and try to figure out why all of these hauntings were happening. So it taught, you know, it kind of was a really good activity to get all of the kids to learn the different buildings on campus because they had to go there to to find these different hauntings and to to help them figure that out. And I thought that was really a cool way to do something like that. that. So that's the kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> that is really cool. <laughs> so, and I probably butchered that whole thing, but I mean, it was just, I mean, it's something that I was like, that is so cool that, that he's actively bringing people from the community. And he did things with um, a local art museum and they had a public library. They were just going to do a big Candyland thing. And he says, instead of doing that, why don't you come to our group? And we'll see if we can help you come up with an idea that will serve you better. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so cool that he's he's bringing he's brought in these people from the community and showed them how that they could bring games into their education. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our "What's Caused Us to Geek Out Lately" section. We're going to take a short break and come back with our topic of the week. You're listening to the Related to Geeks podcast, the podcast about a geeky family. Listen to more episodes on our website, relatedtogeeks.com, and on our YouTube channel, where you can also enjoy our videos. All right, everybody, welcome back. Our topic of the week is role-playing tips and tricks, and this is going to be a fun one. This is just some advice we have on how to be a good role-player, so I'm going to open it up for discussion. My first tip is a simple one. It's uh, give your character flaws. Uh, If you want to make a character interesting, they have to have flaws. In fact, I find the most interesting characters are basically just this loose collection of flaws with one or two redeeming qualities. I agree. Sometimes my characters are just all flawed with no redeeming qualities. (laughs) I've I've played those characters as well. All right, here is my my next tip. Give your characters redeeming qualities. (laughs) Remember, you are with a group of people who are keeping you around for a reason. <laughs> and if you can't think of a reason why they would be keeping you around, then you should rethink your character. Then you're basically Barney Stinson. 
my tip is don't split the party. Sometimes you have to, but that's my tip. Don't split the party. It's true for a couple of reasons. One is it's more dangerous when the party is split up, but two is it's just harder to bounce back and forth between two different things going on and half the time half of your players are just kind of sitting there. Yeah, it's not a super fun role yeah, playing experience when that happens. That being said, I have had um, interesting experiences where the party was split and it allowed, like we had super intense encounters happening in both sections of the party and allowed for when you got to a certain spot and you were like, Ugh, and then the DOM would be like, all right, now over to you. <laughs> so it was like that, you know, classic cliffhanger over and over again. It was one of the worst. Yeah. That's that's probably the one exception to the rule yeah. is, you know, splitting the party whenever, uh, whenever the stakes are high for both parties and you switch back and forth like that, that just creates that sense of tension that's just nonstop all night long. Yeah, I, I, I like that one. So in that regard, it's okay to split the party, but still, I think it's a... Uh, uh, valuable advice to, to not split it unless you're prepared to be in that sort of situation. There has to be a real narrative need um, and not yeah. just because some of the players decide they'd like to go off over here. Yeah, I think the one Megan is talking about in particular was a zombie game where we had uh, a, a group of uh, I guess uh, bystanders or civilians who were injured and some people needed to protect them but we also needed a way to get transport so one group remained back to protect the, the innocent bystanders and another group went out to procure vehicles and in both situations things got really tense yeah and there were, there were definitely moments where I, I didn't know what my next action was going to be and it just it 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 allowed me some time to reflect and really kind of you know feel out what I needed to do next because it was it was so tense at moments so that allowed for that party split to work. But I think um, I think another tip that's important to remember and something that's easy to forget for anybody playing is that there's a difference between character knowledge and player knowledge, and you really need to play your character. Yeah. Because with those yeah. split party scenarios especially, you know what's going on with the other party, but your character doesn't. Yeah. It's important yeah, to remember that's, those. Yeah. That's, that's another reason why it's hard to split the party, because people know things they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. A tip I would give for Dungeon Masters, because I definitely have more experience on that side of the table, is... Uh, relates back to the previous one and that your players need tension without tension it is a boring game so uh, in that regard players I find actually prefer it when things go wrong they don't want a situation where uh, they soundly defeat every bad guy they run into and get lots of treasure 
and overcome every obstacle with ease. They want that situation where they're sitting there for a minute thinking, okay, how am I going to get out of this one? I also have a tip for dungeon masters, even though I'm not an experienced dungeon master, but that is start with the action. You don't have to sit around in a bar for a half hour before you start doing anything. Just get into the game and play it. Yeah. yeah. This is especially true of one-offs. If you're going to run a good one-off game, skip the exposition, just jump right into the game. Assume that the party has already been contracted to go on the adventure and they are standing at the door of the dungeon or at the the mouth of the cave or wherever that adventure, wherever the action is going to start to take place. That's where they start. Another tip, again, kind of more on the DM side is... Uh you know, have multiple so- solutions for every encounter. And, and and don't have it be where the only way to get through a, an area is brute force. You know, have a sneaky option. Have a puzzle option. Have a, uh, you know, a, a charm your way through it option. Kind of, you know, figure out a way to have variety. In fact, I've heard some DMs use this where they try not to come up with any preconceived ways to solve this current situation and instead just come up with a a situation and then let the players solve it. I have a tip for players. Um, You know, there might be four or five players around the board in a good game. And you have to remember, you're not the only player there. You got to pay attention to what they're doing. You got to give them time to play. Also snacks. Snacks are very important. For role playing, yes, that yes. probably should have been the the first tip. The first tip is I mean, get really. a lot of snacks because that's, that's if you want to be invited back every week. Yeah, bring snacks. Um, one tip that I've always followed, and it's you know it's just a play style thing, but my my role playing style has always been to roll as least dice as possible. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um. What uh, Carl said is that anytime the DM asks you to roll, you've already lost. There's a kind of a two basic modes of role playing. And one is where you go from encounter to encounter and have battles or fights. And you're always in combat mode. And then the other is more of the exploratory and solve the puzzles and figure out what you have to do to solve the quest or whatever it is and not so much emphasis on combat and players that like to do a lot of combat need to be in games where there's a lot of combat and players who aren't that crazy about combat need to find the games that are more focused on the narrative and solving the puzzle in fact I find the best games have a good combination of both yeah you want to have both in you know but there are uh, I think, especially in uh, newer D&D players, where their whole thrill is in the fighting. And mm-hmm. they just want to go Man. from... And it doesn't matter whether it's uh, a random encounter or something that's leading to the goal. They just, they're into the fighting part. And they want to go from one encounter to the next to the next. And always be rolling the dice. I almost yeah. think and that's I like think... a rite of passage. Like that's 
I mean, it, it, it's something that, that I think a lot of people overcome pretty quickly, I hope, anyway. I've noticed it. So, I mean, to me, I think that both styles of play are valid. Uh, but my role-playing tip here would be to understand that both styles of play are valid. So if you are the guy who likes to get into a lot of fights and just solve things with brute force, occasionally back off and let the other guy work out a solution to the encounter to, you know, negotiate or, or somehow avoid the combat, sneak around. And if you're a guy who likes to sneak around everything and negotiate everything, understand that sometimes things have just got to come to blows. And uh, you want to be mindful not only of what you want in the game, but what your fellow players are looking for in the game. I also think as a player, it's important to not fear death. You know, if it comes to a fight, you just got to go for it. Yeah. And there's actually been a pretty strong move in modern role-playing games where death doesn't really happen. Like, your player, your, your character gets knocked out. He doesn't die unless you want him to die. And there's a lot of mixed feelings on that, myself included. Yeah, I think it's, it's much more interesting for me if every encounter could possibly result in death. I think that raises the stakes and adds that tension that you were talking about earlier. Like, you know, the truth of, truth of it is, you know, it doesn't matter how high level you are. Any, anything could get the jump on you and take you out just by the nature of, you know, mortality. And I, I like that aspect of role-playing is that every encounter has at least some sort of a risk factor. There's no encounter that you have that doesn't have some kind of risk to it. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I feel is important as both a role player and a dungeon master in the role playing game is to understand the setting that you're in and uh, uh, play to that setting uh, you know a, a high fantasy Dungeons and Dragons style game is going to play very differently than an intrigue based uh, World of Darkness or uh, a pulp action based uh, Savage Worlds uh, and uh, you, you need to have a grasp on the source material and realize what everyone at the table is trying to get out of this game this is the reason why it's so important to uh, learn your dungeon geography <laughs> I really just want to say something about spelunking right now. Whenever the DM says something about a stalactite, when obviously he means stalagmite, it just takes me right out of the game. Right! <laughs> <laughs> um, an another tip that I have is, is don't be afraid to play with less. I know it's tempting to make up all of the maps and have everything all pretty and have little figures representing everything. But the truth of the matter is, you know, role-playing should be in your head. And, you know, don't worry about just sitting down with some dice and pen and paper and going for it. Yeah. Uh, I, I typically prefer theater of the mind. 
I was just going to say that I have played some of my favorite games were games that weren't played around a table at all. They were just kind of, you know, sitting around couches and chairs in a living room. Mm-hmm. So no maps, no minis. Just... Yep. I mean, maybe I'd draw hand-drawn map real quick just so people could get an idea of the terrain. But no, nothing detailed. Uh, my biggest tip for DMs... Uh, harkens back to the tip for writers and game designers and things like that. Uh, if you want to be a good dungeon master, you really need to play. Because you're not going to learn what the people on the other side of the table want out of a game until you're in their shoes. And that's really your job as a dungeon master. You're the facilitator of fun, and if you don't know what's fun as a player, you can't facilitate it. From the player side, which is where I usually sit, it's helpful to me if the party is all on the same side, a kind of a all for one and one for all philosophy, three musketeers. Um, mm-hmm. I think if if that's your basic premise is that this party is they're aligned together, they're helping each other, that helps a, a enormous amount in a smooth game flow. Again, that harkens back to meeting with your group and understanding the style of game that you're going to play. Uh, for my high fantasy, you know, Dungeons & Dragons style games, I want a team of people who are working together, who trust each other, who always have each other's backs, and you don't have to worry about one of your buddies coming and stealing from you in your sleep or, or, or stuff like that. Uh, but... In other systems that I've played, where it is more about the intrigue, it is more about uh, uh, a uh, conflict of interests to come up every once in a while, I I am 100% for people who are working together who won't wouldn't necessarily trust each other all of the time or trust each other 100%. And you had mentioned one-offs before. I think those kind of um, situations work really well for one-offs when you you don't have time where this party's traveling together for an extended period of time. So it's it's yeah. it's more situated to where, okay, where well, these people are kind of forced together in this situation. I know mm-hmm. like a common one-off is like a prison break or something like that where everybody's imprisoned at the beginning of the one-off and they're all just kind of working together to, to escape. Um, and mm-hmm. they might have been imprisoned for different reasons and don't really know whether they can trust each other or not and you know it makes for a really yeah. interesting and again tense one-off so and right into yeah. the action and it harkens to the it harkens to the setting as well for instance if you're playing a zombie survival horror game you need that tension among your players that's that's a cornerstone of the setting yeah nobody trusts us trust us nobody trusts nobody in those kind of situations. Nobody trusts nobody. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I mean, I think that there's definitely some fun to those kinds of games. Otherwise, I don't think games like Fiasco would be as popular as they are. And that is all about not trusting the people that you're role-playing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Fiasco is a DM-less system. And in, like, a traditional D&D game, the DM plays the adversaries so when you don't have a dm 
You all have you to have play to have that. to each other. But I'm just saying that, you know, that it's that same sort of thing where, I mean, there there is definitely a place for mm-hmm. almost a PvP kind of thing. I am not a big fan of PvP in most games. Oh. Yeah, I think... <laughs> um, with the exception of a one-off, if your game is coming to one player making attack rolls against another player, something's screwed up. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> I have abandoned a character because I found that there was no way that she would travel with the party she was traveling with. And, <laughs> and rather than it come to blows, I'm like, nope, I'm rolling a new character because it's not, it's not a game I want to play most of yeah. the time. And, and again, this harkens. I think I think I'm going to call this the golden rule. Uh, if you want to be a good role player, communicate openly with the other players at the table. And by other players, I also include the game master. Uh, uh, you don't want to be the guy who shows up with the paladin to a party of uh, rogues and uh, you know warlocks. You 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 got to understand what the nature of that group of people is, and create a character who would go with that group of people. Yeah, and in my situation, what happened was is there were two people that rolled up characters at the same time that would not in any way, shape, or form travel together without conflict. So it wasn't even like I was entering into this knowing what was going on. It was just like okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's done. <laughs> so, and I was just, and, you know. And, but, but still, I mean, that, that harkens back to it. Uh, uh, this is why I like having a, a meetup session where everyone sits down and openly discusses their character with everyone else. So you have an idea of what other characters are on the table. And that's not just so you can kind of avoid some mechanical overlap. You don't want to have uh, a, a, party that's just filled with you know five battle-hardened mercenaries and that's it uh, but also because you want to know what style of game people are looking for and how can you make your character fit in with theirs and I think you also need to know your character because this is especially true with you know younger players or, or new to the game players where they get wrapped up in the in the greed or the 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 you know action of the game and they don't really think about what their character would do in this situation and so you know it's 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 better to to know what you're drawn to and and go for those characters and then when you want to try something out outside of your comfort zone then really commit to that um and don't fall back into those same habits of oh i'm always the rogue or i'm always you know the barbarian or whatnot yeah, I um, always try to play different types of characters just because I like that experience of, of trying out new things. And I try to keep the character in mind, but yeah, it's hard sometimes. I played for years a lawful good paladin. paladin. And in the world of D&D, that's a hard thing to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, another piece of advice on the DM side of things. This is one that I've commonly heard, and uh, it's, you know harkening back to the new player mentality of I'm going to do what I can to get away with things that I can. Uh, so uh, a guy 
uh, wrote into this uh, D&D help channel, and I cannot remember the name of it, but he said, hey, anytime I have, like, the king of the realm hire the group of adventurers to go out and, and take care of a problem that he has, the group of adventurers never show him the proper respect or anything like that. They just want to, you know, make jokes at his expense and, and things like that. And how can I handle this as a DM whenever I feel like their character should be showing this guy a, a more proper, you know, regal response that he deserves? And the guy's piece of advice was, uh, if the king is so much better than the players, why is he hiring the players? Why doesn't he have, you know, men on hand to handle these types of things? In fact, his biggest piece of advice was, don't make the king be the guy who gives the quest, uh, especially not to a group of new players. You know, it's got to be the poor farmer on the side of the road who can't defend himself. You know, he has no means to protect himself. That's the guy that's hiring your 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 group of mercenaries to to help him out with the the goblins that are attacking his farm well i'd like to add that in my opinion uh, in role-playing games as in everything the story is the thing and if you can successfully get together players and dm and tell a compelling story then that's a success and if all you're doing is wandering around and going from here to there and there's no underlying story, then it just gets kind of aimless. Yeah. In fact, I've set out to run sessions that I was just, I was going to set out and say, I'm going to make this episodic. I'm not going to try to do any type of overarching story because there always seems to come problems with those. But ultimately, rather I want it to or not, it always comes to an overarching story because episodic gets old real fast. And the players pick their story. And that's yeah. something I've heard over and over and over again is what is important to the players will become obvious. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a tip would be to flat out ask them, hey, what's really important to you? At its essence, uh, playing role-playing, or in D&D in particular, is where my experience is, but uh, uh, role-playing is a collaborative narrative. And uh, um, so, uh, in some ways, it's not a collaborative game because the DM is playing an adversarial role, but in another way, it's entirely collaborative because the adversarial role is necessary to uh, provide the narrative. Yeah, and and sometimes the DM, you know, plays good guys, too. I mean, the DM plays all non-player characters, which is another good tip is that, you know, especially for players, is to take time to interact with characters that the DM has taken time to introduce, you know. Mm -hmm. Have conversations with those characters. And don't assume they're all bad guys. Don't assume they're all bad guys. Although some of them will inevitably be bad guys. Right. Uh tip uh, for players would be uh, be willing to take some egg on your face. Uh, You know, you're, I guess just kind of harkening back to the first one, but uh, as a player, 
I get as excited about a one as I do a twenty. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, something terrible is about to happen. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean there. It's it's um, there's that it's that tension thing again too. What what's going to happen to me, <laughs> or somebody else in my party that I happen to hit instead, or whatever. I have a tip. My tip right. is. <laughs> Find people you enjoy playing with and and um, and play. Um, don't don't spend a lot of time trying to make people you don't enjoy playing with become enjoyable to play with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the I think the adage is it's easier to turn uh, your friends into role players than it is to turn certain role players into your friends. Yeah. Another thing is um, don't be afraid to play with a partial party um, because yep. that happens. Things come up and people can't make it. And, you know, if you if you host a weekly game or you try to get together regularly and that happens, don't feel like you can't play. It's kind of like when you have a just, podcast just and one make, of the members is sick and you just go on. Yeah. Just <laughs> just make it fit the narrative. You know, there's yeah. a reason why that person's not there. Yeah. Um, uh, also, uh, Megan just mentioned this, but I think everybody's uh, best gaming experiences um, have been when you have a fairly regular group getting together on a fairly regular schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's to really get D&D. &D, I mean, one-offs are great. You know, and irregular games, if that's what you have to do, that's great. But to really get D&D, &D, it's more than one session. you got to go and have that session and then have another session, another session, and, and let things progress and build. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, a big fan of, of one-offs in systems that are meant to be one-offs. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and there's a few of them out there where it's just really meant to be a, a one or two session game. And and with other play, I much prefer having a campaign scenario. So another thing to keep in mind, and this seems like such a dumb thing, but it's true uh, that it's another easy thing to overlook because we don't necessarily have these in our life. But remember your race as you're playing and who's likely to to give you information and who's likely to believe you or whatever but in the last runoff that i played we had a uh halfling uh try to impersonate a you know human and we just all forgot that it, it was a halfling and the dm didn't forget uh but <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those like we're, we knew it was gonna fail no matter what so we were just going along with it because there was like there's no way that this guy's gonna fall for for you being this person but you know go on with it and then uh the dm said you know yeah you kind you kind of look like him but i remember him being taller than three foot tall so and we all just were like oh <laughs> we forgot about that tidbit <laughs> But obviously, there's less there's less dramatic cases of that, you know. There's there's certain there's certain people that don't like elves. There's certain people that don't like, you know. And you just kind of you have to remember that those that that uh, exist as both a player and as a DM. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's also very important to remember what sex you're playing, because in Willow, 
when Mad Mardigan impersonated that lady, boy, that didn't work out good at all. <laughs> that was a running gag in uh, Gamers 2 Dorkness Rising. Oh, man. Okay, if you're an RPG, or watch the gamers. Yeah. <laughs> also, if you're a person, watch Willow. <laughs> Willow's fantastic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, we got any other tips or tricks? Oh, Probably, sure I... but I can't think of any of them. <laughs> Have fun. Oh, that's yeah. a Have good fun one. Have fun playing your game. If you're not yep. having fun, then... then you know, you're, you're probably doing down. it wrong. <laughs> you may uh, be in the wrong party. You may be playing the wrong system. But everybody, if they, I, I can't imagine someone who just, I've met so many people from so many different walks of life, different backgrounds, that when they sit down and, and, and play D&D with the right party can get into it. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know. If at first you don't succeed, try again because it really is a fun experience. And it, it essentially is just hanging out with a group of people that you enjoy hanging out with. At its core, that's what it is. And telling a story together and having fun with it. Right. There's a reason we keep going back to it. That and the snacks. That and the snacks. Yeah. Alright, on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap this uh, segment up. And as always, you know, we could have talked much longer about this, and there's many other tips and advice, but more than anything, just, just go, and, go and try, you know, finding a, a group to play with and, and uh, getting something started, because it really is a lot of fun. We'll be right back with our picks of the week. Follow our show links and download the podcast MP3s at our website, relatedtogeeks.com. We also post our geeky stuff on our YouTube channel. Alright everybody, it's time for our picks of the week. And I think we're going to start off with Sarah. Because she actually hasn't started off a section this time around. So, what you got Sarah? Um, I actually, something that we just kind of showed up on our YouTube recommended channel a, a couple of days ago, and so we watched it, and it's called Glowforge. Have y'all heard of this? Nope. Nope. Oh, cool. Something new. Um, it is a desktop laser cutter. It is a 3D laser, they call it a 3D laser printer. It's um it's in a crowdfunding sort of situation right now, and I think they're just doing it through their site through pre-orders. It's too rich for my blood. It's two thousand dollars entry into this, and that's half price for the pre-order. Um, but the idea of having a desktop laser printer or laser cutter is pretty awesome, and it does wood, it does leather, it does acrylic, just like you would expect a, a laser cutter to do. Um, and they started their funding, I think, on the 24th. And so four or five days into it, they're at almost $3.5 million sold. Um, it looks super cool. We watched the video, and then we watched, um, looked at some of the, the projects that they've got up on their, si on their site. And, the, you know, it's something that doesn't take up a half a room, which is what you would expect a laser cutter to take up. So it kind of gives me hope that those 
those kind of bigger items are, you know, coming more down into a household size product. Yeah. Well, that's how it worked with computers, so. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I I have something sitting right in front of me that's sort of the same thing. I have a, a paper cutter. I have a silhouette portrait that, you know, they're... Even the the um, entry level paper cutters, when I first started looking at them, were almost a thousand dollars, and this was a hundred. So you know, there's something that was you know I don't know how much a big large laser cutter is. I've never looked at one, but I have to imagine it costs more than two thousand dollars. And I mean, what I'm seeing looks super neat. It does it does etching and all of that as well, like you would expect it to. Um, mm-hmm. And and so it's something we're going to be keeping our eye on and. And trying to, you know, see if it is something that in the next next little while we can try to figure out how to how to add that to our household because it's fun. Yep. So now, in the meantime, out. I've mentioned this on a previous uh, episode. Uh, Outfab.com does that type of service for a one-off fee, and it's like thirty-six dollars for a six-inch by twelve-inch sheet, and that's still pretty expensive. But it's not two thousand dollars expensive. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, so, and it would be worth buying something like this if you wanted to do something in a business aspect for sure, like just a home based oh, business. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, there's so much stuff that you can do with laser cutting um, that that is wanted and needed, um, and and it's just it's something that we, um, you know, we've been talking about wanting to get a um, 3D printer. And and kind of looking at this, this feels almost more um, useful to us. But, you know, I think we would use a 3D printer as well. And they're definitely cheaper for a household item. Um, yeah. I just, I like the idea of, of doing what we can to design in our own home. Which is why I have a paper cutter. Cool. I think it's pretty neat. <laughs> I have a paper cutter, but it only cuts straight lines. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I have one of those too. Not, not, like, not a guillotine. I just have a paper trimmer. But I do have, um, I do have really nice scissors, and I do a lot of paper cutting just with those because I don't want to bring out my portrait for a small job. But we have a paper cutter at work that can cut through a ream of paper in one cut. <laughs> I know. I have. Um, it's handy. I have. Been <laughs> I have taken stuff for for that to you know that paper cutter to be put to use before. All right, I'm gonna go next because I don't want to end on mine, but I do think it's super cool, and I know we have some coffee drinkers on here, but I, in my efforts to you know go minimalist and and have you know smaller appliances and have a smaller footprint and all that stuff I've, I've looked at alternatives for several different appliances and things like that you know and some switches I've made like I'm, I'm doing just a like a drying pad instead of a, a dish rack so there's just like a single cloth that I lay down and uh, I'm using this newfangled thing called an oven instead of a microwave uh, so that's been a, a nice adjustment um, How's that been working out for you? I like I like it. I like this this whole oven and stove heating up instead of the microwave because I feel like <laughs> I my food actually like tastes that. like food after I heat it up on the stove. Um, but anyway, uh, my my new favorite is uh, the Melita brewing cone. 
which is like just a single plastic cone that fits directly over your cup and you just put a cone filter in it and your coffee grounds and you pour hot water into it and it just, you know, steeps in the cone and drips directly down into your cup and it's, you know, like a $3 item. Makes a single cup at a time. It's a really simple Keurig that, you know, doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. And it's fantastic. It makes a wonderful cup of coffee. No electric cord? No electric cord. You have to heat your water somehow. Yes. But it's just... We have two of those. (laughs) It's just a cone. It's so brilliant. Yeah, it's... um, My absolute favorite coffee is a pour-over coffee. Yeah. I think it makes the best coffee. Um, When I left, after I, I, um, I left college... And, and moved out on my own. One of the things that mom gave me before we left was one of those pour-over cones. Mm-hmm. And that was how I made my coffee for a long time because I was living with non-coffee drinkers. So I would get up in the morning and I would make myself a cup of coffee in that because I had it. I didn't have to go buy a coffee maker and I was only having to make one cup at a time. Another benefit that I see with the with the cone is that you can see everything and there's nothing there's no hidden you know nozzles or reservoirs or anything in in the in the coffee maker sometimes i'm i'm questioning you know how clean it is after i've used it for a while Uh or what really makes me nervous is when it's set for a little bit and then i go back to make coffee and i'm just like this has just been sitting here who knows what's grown inside of it so that's the nice thing about this is it's all one piece and you can see all of it and it's just a comb with a hole in the bottom yeah, I am. And if I am you, intrigued if, by this. If you want to make more than one cup of coffee and use the same method by a Chemex. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, we have an eight cup Chemex, I think, um, which will, we just put it in a carafe after we make it so it stays warm. Um, but we drink more than one cup of coffee in the morning, so that works better for us when we want to pour over. Yeah. See, this works really well for the single cup. And then I do have I do have a French press in case I do want a little bit more or I have company or I want, you know, a slightly different type of brew and do the French press instead. Yeah, it gives you a definitely a different taste um, between a French press and a, and a pour over because the French press, you don't have that filter to filter out the oils. Mm-hmm. French. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, big. I'm American. I use a bun. <laughs> I'm a a big fan of the pour over. We, we use, we, well, you know, I mean, we are huge coffee drinkers in this household (laughs) and we have, I think last count that Devin did, we have 10 different coffee making systems. So we're not very good at the minimalism. (laughs) (laughs) So I currently um, have, I currently have zero coffee making systems in my house. So this cone is intriguing to me because I'm in a situation where I am the only coffee drinker in my house. And I've yeah. just been not having coffee on the weekends, and that's not the way to be. Nah. So <laughs> it's, it's literally like a $3 item. Yeah. yeah. What I did, how I got my cones, was I bought it with a travel mug, a Melita travel mug. Uh-huh. So it was a travel mug that came with the cone, and I think it was 6 or $7. I mean, it wasn't expensive at all. And so you have a cup, too. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I'm I mean... Right. I'm going to get me one of these cones, but my next question, and this is this is Sarah's second pick of the week, what is your favorite pour-over coffee? 
Oh, well, I, this is hard because we're kind of in, in a um, coffee baron land right now. Um, oh. As far as, like, are you looking for brand or just like? Well, you mentioned that you, one of your favorite coffees was a pour over coffee and you didn't tell me what it was. And now I'm intrigued. No. No, it's just just coffee that the pour over. It's is just the a coffee. brewing method. Oh yeah, the brewing uh, method. Brewing method, not not okay, <laughs> not like. Yeah. Uh, but so, to be poured over. I was like, I just go to Trader Joe's when we're in St. Louis and yeah. I fuck up on coffee. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. I was I was confused by that. We um now I miss when you know my favorite pour over coffee is my favorite of any kind of coffee, and that's when Devin roasts it himself because it's. There's, you can definitely tell the difference between beans that were roasted three days ago yeah. and beans that you got at a store. Um, but that doesn't happen very often anymore, sadly. Well, we, I, just got, we just got some community at Kroger's. <laughs> Community's pretty good. Um, I think the cone shape of the filter um, does a lot for for the for the brewing as well rather than having just the standard filter i think it it yeah it increases the coffee flavor uh, something about the the cone i think increases the contact with the grounds right yeah because it's it's got a, a smaller point that it comes out at the bottom yeah or automatic drip coffee maker is a cone maker as well that was that was my pick of the week because I love coffee. I could, I could do a whole show on coffee. Yeah, <laughs> we'll save that. We'll save that for the future. All right. How about how about you, uh, Papa? What's what's yours? My pick of the week is U Block Origin. Uh, hat tip to Steve Gibson at Security Now. He did a show on this, and I'm using it. Um, it's uh, script blocker which is uh, kind of a little bit more sophisticated ad blocker. Um, it's, uh, the problem is, is that in all modern browsers on many, many websites that everybody loves to go to, they use advertising providers. And not only do those advertising providers provide images, they provide scripts. And sometimes those scripts are not the kind of scripts you want running on your computer. It's called malvertising. <laughs> so you can just go to a site that you go to all the time that you've never had any problem with, and they won't even know there's a problem because they're subscribing to a service and they're providing the ads and they run out of the ads they usually run, so they're running some other ads and you get malware on your computer. Um, so this guy named Raymond Hill has this uh, uh, open source software. Uh, it was uBlock, and then he forked it. He was the original uBlock guy, and then there was a team of uBlockers, and then he forked it to be uBlock Origin, and he's the only developer now. He's named Raymond Hill, and his uh, handle is Gorehill, G-O-R-H-I-L-L, on Twitter and on GitHub. And... Uh, so, uh, so far, I'm just using it as the default setting, and it works great. Everything's clean and comes up fast, and I don't... It, You know, when you're not loading these scripts, your pages load faster, and they're not really scripts you want to be loading anyway. So it's uh, it can be configured as an ad blocker, 
or just a malware blocker or a script blocker and you can control whether it just blocks third-party scripts or whether it blocks all scripts or you know and you can configure it site per site so if some sites you want to get all the scripts you can and other sites you don't I hadn't got into any of that configuration I'm just using it default out of the box right now uh, I really recommend uBlock Origin uh, Steve Gibson called it a firewall for browsers now I've not run that but I do run adblock and I think that is probably the number one recommended tip for keeping your computer safe right now more than running antivirus more than running anti-spyware is running ad blocker running uh, ad blocker script blocker like uBlock Origin going one further and also um, keep your stuff updated you know run those yeah. updates oh and one other tip of the week <laughs> We discussed uh, Windows 10 being, you know, uh, operating spyware disguised as an operating system. And a lot of people were saying, well, I'm just going to stay with Windows 7 or, or Windows 8 because I don't want Microsoft to know all this stuff about me or whatever, you know. Too late. They backported all the spyware to Windows 7 and Windows 8, and they installed it without permission. <laughs> oh, goodness. So I am now running the only safe Windows system in the area still on Vista for finale <laughs> Vista still supported with security updates and they are not backporting the spyware to it yet yet <laughs> I'm running an operating system that's safe from that too it's called Zubuntu <laughs> Zubuntu yes me too my favorite that's what I'm running wow <laughs> hi Sarah <laughs> <laughs> One of us. One of us. All right. So other than Zubuntu, Kier, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a mobile video game called RGB Express. I have been playing the heck out of this game. I downloaded it onto my Android phone. It's also for the iPhone. And, man, it's just, it's a, a very simplistic pick up and deliver game where you have different colored trucks with different colored packages and different colored buildings and none of the trucks can overlap in the street routes but they can cross each other's paths so uh, they can't go down the same street but uh, you can cross a street that another truck has gone down and it's just trying to organize these four trucks of four different colors to pick up these four packages to drop them off at the corresponding four buildings and working out the route that works for all of them. It's It, it sounds like the type of puzzle game that I would get very addicted to very quickly. Yeah, and it, I would warn you, the experience I've had with it is something like the first 30 or 40 levels really are pretty trivial. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while you'll get a stumper, but for the most part, they're trivial. And then after that, it starts ramping up big time. It, it, it now, sounds a lot now, like flow, um, yeah. just with some extra mechanics to it. Yeah, and, and like every good puzzler game, uh, they introduce new mechanics such as here's a, a truck that's white so it can pick up any colored package and drop it off at any colored building. And here's uh, some points where one truck can pick up a package and then drop it off at another location for another truck to pick up. 
so you can have the yellow truck pick up the red package, drop it off on a corner where the red truck can pick it up. And, uh, uh, yeah, I am probably closer to 80 or 90 levels in now, and it's getting to where each level takes me, you know, 20 or 30 minutes to puzzle out, and I'm just totally addicted to it. Cool. I like puzzle games, and in the in the world of board games, I think pick up and deliver is one of my favorite mechanisms. So, the the other the shout out of this game, uh, the the other reason I recommend this game is I like their their money their 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 charging method. There's not any microtransactions or anything like that. The game has ads, and the ads really aren't that intrusive. And if you don't want the ads, you can buy the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that quite a bit. I like that. There's this new thing that Amazon's doing, and I haven't really looked much into it, but it's they're calling it like their true free or absolute free or something like that. But it's 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 games that are really kind of targeted at that idea that you know the there is no microtransactions and things like that. There's just you know you get the game and you have everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's no hidden fees. And so they have a no, section no that's... No cool Yeah. Well, and I think that's really appealing to parents because I think that's a, a concern for parents is they download those games for their kids to play and then they're afraid those kids are going to figure out ways to buy a bunch of, you know, random skins oh, yeah. or extra levels or whatever that end up costing them $60. Speaking as a parent who that has happened to them, <laughs> it wasn't $60, but... Yeah, I... Uh, I had a, a knobby for my daughter, and I was like, you know, this is cool and all, but boy, it seems so limited in their software selection that I can download for her. So I followed some steps, and I got the Google Play story, store on there, and I downloaded some extra games for her. And then it became very apparent to me why their selection was so limited and why they, <laughs> <laughs> why they screened all of their games. <laughs> Yeah, that gets you into some bad situations. Luckily, by the time my daughter was really using any sort of mobile devices, she she was old enough to know not to just go buy stuff. Yeah. Not mine! <laughs> well, I'm probably oh. safe now, but for the longest time, and still to this day, I haven't linked anything to my Google Play account for that reason. Um, so there is no pay method on my Google Play account right now. Yeah. And to, and to uh, set up a Apple ID account without a credit card is possible, but you have to go around the block. They definitely want your credit card with your Apple ID. I think the last time I actually bought an app through the Google Play Store, I was... It, it was one of those things that they built it to my phone. Um, but that was years ago. I don't even know if you can still do that. I hear a cat. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that would be on, on, on my end here. So. Uh. Oh, okay, well, cats are nice. <laughs> Some cats oh. are nice. Well, <laughs> Have you met mine? You've met mine, right? They stayed with you for a while. They're not nice. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> it's it's kind of like everything else. Not 90% of them, you know? 
<laughs> are nice. Uh, uh. All right. So is that everybody's picks? Did we go down the list? Yep. I think so. All right. Well, I guess that wraps this week's episode up. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new topic and more antics and technical difficulties and all kinds of fun. So until then, bye. Bye-bye. Technical difficulties. Our difficulties are technical. Technical difficulties. Our difficulties are technical. I am a banana. Woo-wee! I am a banana. Woo-wee! The one with, the one with. Technical difficulties. Our difficulties are technical. I'm a banana. Crazy college students. <laughs>